Church, and welcome to this third and final uh, part of our three-part series on baptism and the Great Commission. Um, I hope the series has been helpful. Um, I know that we on the team, we've learned a lot from putting this material together. Um, and I, I think that if, for many of us, uh, if anything, I hope that we're able to see better the connection between these two things. Uh, it may be that for many of us, including us on the team, um, it may be that we used to see them as two very separate things. Baptism always is a, is a very personal thing in our memory, in our experience. It's something we experience with our church, uh, with our church family, with our family members, uh, close mentors, and things like that. Um, but it may be that we thought of the Great Commission uh, until we started looking closer at the connection between them. Maybe we thought of the Great Commission as something that's so vast and so outward-looking that it really doesn't fall on each of us individually. We kind of, we look for our church to guide us in it. We look for mission boards, professional missionaries and pastors, uh, and that it's very important to have uh, those people to lead us in those ways. Uh, but maybe now we're starting to see the connection between our personal experience of baptism uh, and the Great Commission. And one of the things that um, I hope we took away from last week is that baptism itself is the gospel message that we carry to the world. Um, it is, it, in a very um, graphic way, it depicts what happens to us at salvation. Um, it shows that we enter into the very life and death and resurrection of Jesus, and that's how we're saved. Um, and, um, and so we, we talked a lot about that last week, about, um, about turning away from the old life and entering into the new life, that new creation that's at work in us. Um, but how does that happen? And it happens uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I was saying last week that we don't talk enough about the Holy Spirit, and I wish we had time to really get into this, um, but I'm just going to touch on it because I need to let my colleagues here speak, otherwise they'll start throwing things at me from back there. So the Holy Spirit um, has always had a, a very... Uh, intimate uh, role in the Bible. We see it um, from the very beginning uh, in, in creation. Um, and I, I know that Shah had just said we get very little credit as fathers, but I'm going to go back to a Mother's Day image if that's okay. Um, Dr. Boaz talked about this on Mother's Day, that there's this, this mothering aspect of God um, at, the very, at, at the very point of creation. We see uh, the Spirit of God hovering over the womb-like waters of, of creation. And we see that again in the new creation, which begins with the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, right? The life, um, at the very beginning of his life, uh, at his conception, we see uh, that the Holy Spirit um, overshadows uh, Mary and then he is conceived. So um, there's the Spirit at work there. And then again, uh, in, in baptism, um, in Jesus' baptism, we see the, the, the Holy Spirit descending uh, in the in the manner of a dove, uh, or the form of a dove, um, and so again that that bird like that mothering that hovering. This isn't helicopter parenting exactly, but it, there's this hovering, nurturing uh, kind of uh, relationship, uh, and that's what we have uh, as those who have the Holy Spirit. There's this um, very intimate relationship with God, and and Paul talks about it as an adoption. Uh, in Romans eight, he talks about how the Spirit we have doesn't make us slaves, so that we live in fear. Um, fear that maybe we, you know, we weren't able to keep all of God's law because we, Jesus was able to do that. And so the spirit that he gave us um, is a spirit of adoption. Uh, and, um, 
and I want to kind of pause. This is in Romans 8, I'm looking at verse 15, where he says that uh, the Spirit doesn't make us slaves, um, but it brings about our adoption. And, you know, we have to think of this, I think, as Paul was thinking about it in the Roman world. Um, the kind of adoption he's thinking of um, would be, I think, probably similar to, I, I used this illustration uh, a few years ago, and again, we don't have time to, to, to put that reel up there, but um, in Ben-Hur, there's a scene where you know, he's adopted by this high-ranking Roman official. And I think that's kind of, this is a letter to Romans, and I think this is what he's thinking of. Um, when we are adopted into God's family, there's responsibility that comes with it. And so Paul says then um, that all of creation is waiting for our, our sonship, our, um, our status as God's adopted children uh, to come into full effect because, and we go back again to Genesis, when we were created, we were created with the role of being God's children, his representatives, um, to carry that dignity of his majesty in the world. And everything we did in the world was supposed to um, return glory back to God, was supposed to be done in a way, in, a, in, an, in an act of worship. Um, and so the... the as, as those who have been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, um, one thing that we can take away today is that all of us are involved in the mission of God. It's not to say that uh, everyone's a missionary in the, in the technical, the proper sense of it, but all of us are mis involved in the mission of God because everything we were supposed to do from uh, the first creation um, that Adam and his family were supposed to do um, was to, to return creation back to God and to have that... Um, that connection with God in all the activities of humanity. So those of us who are uh, teachers, uh, those of us who are involved in uh, various kinds of industry, those who are involved in, in law enforcement, you know, we, we think of um, all of these activities and, um, and our role as Christians, as our role as those who have been adopted into God's family is to bring God's rule into all of those spheres of life. But remember that all of it, is from God. It's in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's because of the righteousness of Jesus who lived that perfect life on our behalf. And it's because of the grace of God. Um, all of it is God's work from start to finish. To him be thanks and glory. Let me start with an illustration as I uh, continue uh, our group talk today. <clears throat> we uh, live in the world that demands um, uh, submission. When we say uh, run into a policeman and a policeman has a demand on us, so hopefully it doesn't happen too often, uh, we submit, right? Because don't you argue with a policeman. Uh, when uh, the, the federal state uh, government uh, issues some law or regulation, well, again, we find ourselves in a situation where, <clears throat> where we submit ourselves. Um, uh, in other words, we obey, right? Um, well, sometimes uh, there are masters that are, that are ugly masters that also require or expect us to obey. Say, uh, violence is, uh, can be such a master, carnal flesh uh, that, you know, uh, that the, we relate to all of us uh, can be our master. Um, they also, uh, you know, power can be a master that demands your obedience. Um, so it's more on a spiritual, subjective, uh, you know, individual uh, level. Um, so sometimes um, when uh, Christians talk about obedience to God, uh, you know, there are voices that will speak against it. You know, like, who is God to obey, uh, that we should obey Him? Um, 
you know, uh, is he there? Well, even if he is there, like, who is he to demand obedience? Is Christianity, uh, like, too, um, uh, you know, pretend, uh, too demanding uh, in terms of, hey, you people, you know, obey God. Uh, so sometimes there are voices like this. Uh, but my question is, if we don't question uh, obedience to the government or to a policeman or submission to a policeman, if uh, some violent people don't question their submission to the uh, uh, master quotes, you know, of violence, or if people give in to fleshly, all sorts of fleshly behavior, sometimes very ugly, uh, then, then why do we question this wonderful, beautiful obedience to a beautiful, good God? So um, uh, we are baptized, and we baptize others in the name of, the, of God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So Martin has just talked to us about uh, some aspects of being united with Jesus Christ, obedience to the Holy Spirit, uh, and uh, having a new life in Christ, uh, you know, on a micro level, uh, in our, you know, individually. And then we also participate in the renovation of the whole cosmos under Christ. That's a macro level. Uh, so both levels are important. Our individual uh, obedience um, or, you know, new life and also the renovation of the whole world. I want to address from my side two other aspects. One is um, uh, baptism. Uh, is involved in God's mission. Baptism is related closely, tied closely to God's mission. And uh, we participate in God's mission. And, all, and then also baptism um, relates to believers' individual obedience and also the obedience of the church as a corporate body. Our participation in God's mission is sealed and, you know, witnessed in, uh, by, is sealed by and witnessed in baptism. Uh, we share God's purposes, God's ways, God's values, and so on. We are initiated into the community of believers in Christ. That is God's team, uh, if you wish, or God's family, the church. And if we um, take seriously our baptism and are being a member of God's family, then we should understand that it requires obedience or submission on our part. Obedience is an indication, an indication of the new life that we uh, have in Christ, that we received from Christ. And uh, it is through our obedience that God can use us to redeem other people and renew the whole creation. <laughs> Such a big mission, don't you find? And we're part of it. No matter how little we can do or how much we can do, we're part of it. We do not only you know, some stereotypes or some limitations that we might kind of operate in our thinking. We do not only relate to God in any way. That's a wonderful thing. But we do not stop there. We do not only hope for a great future, you know, paradise and life with God and kingdom of God. We do not only ex expect God to bless and protect us in this life. Those things are wonderful. But we also, and perhaps primarily, Commit ourselves to obedience to our great king. In Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, we read that Jesus has all the power as the true universal king. 
This means that he's going to free this world as, a, as this universal king from evil. He, he's going to renew this world and reign righteously. Contrasted uh, how, you know, to how the world is governed now by oftentimes very corrupt um, human leaders. So as, a, as the rightful and sovereign ruler, he gives the great commission to us, to his disciples. He assigns a task to his people, the church. What, uh, those what, what this task is, is one, to baptize, and then to teach people to keep Christ's commandment, commandments. So the summary or the quintessence of this commandments, of his commandments is found in the Sermon on the Mount, for example, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The Apostle Paul uh, in uh, Romans, uh, where he talks much about our union with Christ and baptism, he says, and I rephrase uh, a verse uh, from chapter 1, verse uh, 4 and 5, Jesus was declared uh, Son of God in power according to the Holy Spirit by the resurrection from the dead. He is Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have, listen carefully, we have received grace and apostleship with uh, the task of calling to the obedience of faith the Gentiles on behalf of his name. Among those Gentiles, uh, you and I are called of Jesus Christ. So the call for obedience is universal. Everyone is involved and invited and called. We can resist it or we can submit to it. So very quickly, participation in a triune God. Think about it. As we think about this obedience, uh, we can think about God as triune. And um, we participate in his life. It's a lofty calling. I mean, think about God. We can hardly think about God, how high he is. But we are called to participate in the, in the life of the triune God. When you think about God the Father, he's um, the saving initiative. He's the Savior. Uh, he's on his mission to redeem this world. God also uh, righteous in character. And, and um, his is the initiative to redeem this world. Uh, when we need to mend relationship, we look to God. How does God relate within himself? He also think, we also think about God as king and judge. We live in the world where human opinions dominate. But Christians must submit to God and give an example to the rest of the world. Christ, he's also on the mission. He's, he's saving initiative. We can talk about that as well. Also, he gave us an example of submission, humility, and service. Yet, he's on the way to glory. He was on the way to glory. He is in the, in his, in the Father's glory now. And we repeat his uh, life and his fate. So the Holy Spirit, he's also on the mission. He was sent by the Father for the church uh, to keep the church running. He sanctifies us. So we're called to be holy. And the Holy Spirit gives us the power that we can do God's uh, work. So to conclude, I'll say that uh, we are to obey God in four, in four actually, right? In four areas. First, baptism itself. So uh, great the significance of baptism that we uh, need to value and cherish baptism in our life and also to lead um, through conversion or with our children, in case with our children, if you believe so, to baptism, to participate in church and in the life of God. 
Second, so first is baptism. Second, we're, we're to be grounded in his teaching. That's what Jesus said. You know, teach them to keep my commandments. Uh, fourth, you know, if we break it into a small, smaller areas, it's ethical. Ethical. We ought to be uh, holy and uh, to give an example you know, to the rest of the world in various situations. Um, so it, I love when, when children or teenagers or young adults or adults ask this question, what does it mean to be holy? What, what does it mean to obey God in this area or in this area? What sort of choice should I make in this situation or in this situation? So ethically. And number four, inactivity in our work for the world, be it social work, be it evangelism, uh, <clears throat> be it just um, uh, representing God in so many ways. Um, so all of us are called to complete obedience uh, and uh, May this idea just remain with us in our minds. Redeemer Life, we've come a long way in the past three weeks. We've covered a lot of ground. And as the theological resources team, I think we'd be remiss to not uh, really drive home the practical significance of what we've been talking about here with baptism. Um, we're not just talking about theories here. We're not just talking about uh, some abstract concept. And I hope something that has come through in what we've talked about leading up to today is that baptism is not just an empty ritual. It's not a mindless tradition. It's a gift from God. It's a part of, as we've already heard today, it's a part of the new creation that God calls us to be enacting on earth. It's part of our obedience as Christians. And so this morning, I want us to reflect on that a little bit. Um, we might be coming from different backgrounds, different personal experiences, but my hope is that the majority of us here have experienced baptism in one way or another. And it's time for us to remember that. We need that reminder. Um, as I'm growing older now, I find that my memory is... Uh, fading. I, I used to be able to hold my schedule in my head. I used to be able to memorize phone numbers. I used to be able to work with no aids whatsoever. And I find now that I forget things all the time. And I have to put reminders for myself all over the place in my house. If I need to bring something with me to school, I got to put a post-it note by my car keys so I can remember to bring something. If I get drawn out of my routine, I need something to shake me out of that complacency of that habit. And looking back at our own baptisms, or maybe even looking forward to the baptism that you have yet to experience, can be the way that we shake ourselves out of just the daily to and fro that we experience in our lives. And for that, I'd like us to look to a passage in Scripture just to remind us of that. So if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to Romans chapter 12. And I believe that it'll also be projected on your screen for you. Uh, Romans 12, verses 1 through 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Previously in Romans 6, Paul told us that baptism is, a, is being brought into the death of Christ 
and that through baptism we're also raised again into a new life. And so in that passage, we saw that baptism had a past aspect to it. It directs us back to what Jesus has already done for us. And that's why in verse 1, Paul says, I appeal to you by the mercies of God. The mercies of God take us right back to Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. But baptism also has a forward-looking aspect. We're not just looking backward to what has happened, but we're also looking into the future, into what God has in store for us. So I would like you just to take a moment now to reflect on your Christian walk. Where are you now? If you have been baptized, what was that experience like for you? Do you remember what drove you to that point of being baptized or perhaps confirmed in the church? What was that like for you to have such a vivid experience of what God's mercy was for you? The basis of Paul's appeal here was by the mercies of God, and that should never be something that just skips by us without giving much attention. Uh, Paul wants our lives to be shaped by God's mercies. We need those reminders. And baptism, I know personally for me and I hope for all of you, is one of those powerful moments where I look back on that and I see God's mercy at work in my life. Romans 12 then tells us the shape of our life that is to come. Because baptism is not just looking backwards, as I mentioned, but it looks forward to what God has for us. There's a certain shape to the life that we're supposed to have. And I'll read this for you again. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Spiritual worship here is a very interesting term. Um, It's actually very difficult to translate because the two words used here in the original language actually are not the most common words that we use for spiritual or for worship. The word here for spiritual, for instance, is a word that often means rational or appropriate, thoughtful, reasonable, or my favorite one here, True to your real nature. Our spiritual worship is one that is true to our nature as Christians. And as Christians, what are we fundamentally? We are followers of Christ, who himself was baptized in order to fulfill all righteousness. That's who we are today, Redeemer Life. We are followers of Christ. And that's not something that's pie in the sky, this big abstract idea. It's as simple as the fact that we call ourselves Christians and that day by day, moment by moment, choice by choice, God calls us to follow him. I like how the message uh, mentions this. It it translates verse 1 as, take your everyday ordinary life and place it before God as an offering. Discipleship is a daily endeavor because all of us are called to follow Christ wholeheartedly. So today, how can you take that step to follow Christ just a little bit more? What's that extra bit of your life that you can give to him as your offering? Maybe it is to actually get baptized, to go talk to 
uh, one of us or to a member of the executive board and to say, hey, I need to testify about what God has done in my life. Maybe it's just some little courageous act we can do to talk to our non-believing friends, to witness to them about the goodness of Christ in our lives. Baptism is what brings us into that life of new creation, of obedience, of discipleship. All right, so just as all of us Christians are called to be baptized, all of us are on a journey of discipleship and growing in obedience to Christ. All followers of Jesus also have this outward intentional movement to their life. Discipleship is kind of this upward growing in your relationship with Christ, but there's also this outward movement. Followers of Jesus have an outward rhythm of intentional movement to their life. The Great Commission that Jesus gives us, Matthew 28, 18, therefore Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Therefore, go. Now, you probably have heard in different talks about the Great Commission that emphasis on the therefore go. Um, That was my experience in church growing up. A lot of emphasis on the Great Commission, a lot of emphasis on the therefore go part. Um, It was regularly used this way, and it was often used in a way as kind of a supportive fundraising strategy for missions. And it was used in a way that created maybe two classes of Christians. You had the vocational missionaries who went. They were the ones who were fulfilling the Great Commission. Um, And then you had the people at home who were the senders. The senders had the responsibility of giving the money so the missionaries could go. They could do the going. But um, that's really a boring picture of the Christian life. The Great Commission is not intended to say, we have this select group of Christians who go and everybody else stays home and they just give money. That is not the purpose. All Christians are called in this discipleship journey. All Christians are called with this outward intentional movement of their faith. And that, that's the calling that Jesus gave to all the disciples. We're watching the NBA Finals right now. We're not, you know, we maybe root for the Warriors or the Raptors, but we're at home rooting. But the Great Commission calls everybody to get off of the sidelines and be playing in the game, to use a sports analogy. Get off the sidelines. The Great Commission is given to all people to get off the sidelines to go. Now, <clears throat> now um, in t- practically speaking, what, what does that mean? Um, it's not a prescriptive or restrictive kind of thing. When we're going, as we're going, as we're um, discipling our children, as we're interacting with our coworkers, as we're making decisions as we're ordering coffee in the coffee shop, as we're talking to our family? Are we intentionally thinking about the witness that we're sharing with Christ? Are we sharing our discipleship life and the hope and the joy that we have in Christ? An outward intentional rhythm to our life. That's the great commission, to be sharing this intentional outward hope that we have on a day-by-day basis, like, just like Brian was talking about discipleship is an everyday and all-moment life. The Great Commission, the going aspect, is in an everyday, all times, in every circumstance, kind of a rhythm of the heartbeat of our Christian life. It is not intended to create the super saints who go as missionaries and everybody else who just kind of stays at home. Everybody has a part of going, and you go in different places, and there's different roles in going, sure, but everybody has this rhythm, this intentional part of going. Um, do we pray for opportunities? Do I pray for opportunities? Do I seek opportunities in my intentional in my life? 
those are the kind of questions that we land with as we think about the Great Commission and Jesus is calling for all of us to be obedient, to be disciples, and to have this outward intentional rhythm to our Christian life. Um, now, I also want to highlight one phrase at the end of the Great Commission. Um, sometimes this is, you might view this as kind of tacked on at the end. It's not important. It's not emphasized. However, um, as we continue reading the Great Commission, 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I am with you. Friends, that is a powerful phrase that Jesus tells his followers, his disciples. I am with you. Um, when we go out in doing the Great Commission, living out the Great Commission, we don't go out in our own strength. We go out in the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of God who commissions us. Now, that phrase, I am with you, is a really interesting phrase. Um, it's used a few times in the Old Testament, given to people, key leaders at very specific times in the history of Israel. We think of Moses in Exodus chapter 3. He, he is a shepherd. He encounters this burning bush. And um, God is talking to him. He tells Moses, oh, you know, I, I hear the prayers of my people in, in Egypt. Go tell Pharaoh that, you know, they got to go. Let them go. And <laughs> go, just go to the most powerful king, arguably the most powerful person on the face of the earth, and tell him, you know, God says you got to let your people go. Um, and Moses says to God in Exodus 3, Verse 11, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Good question. Who am I? And God tells him this phrase, this very important phrase, I will be with you. Who am I to go to Pharaoh? Well, you're nobody, but I am with you. I am with you. And we know from continuing on Exodus that he does go and he does do all these things through the power and the strength of God, and God brings his people out, out of Egypt. Um, we go forward into Joshua. And Moses has now died, and Joshua is uh, he is standing on the banks of the Jordan River. He's looking over at the promised land, and he's a little bit afraid. An angel of the Lord comes to him in Joshua 1, verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Again, Joshua was commissioned for this really difficult task to go lead the people of God after Moses had passed away, lead them into the promised land. And he's afraid. It's a very hard, very difficult task. I mean, very understandably. He's like, oh my, what am I doing? I, I don't think I can do this. But God, God says, I am with you. And so when Jesus ascends, right before he ascends to heaven, he gives this commissioning to all the disciples. So in the Old Testament, this phrasing, I am with you, was given to key people at key times, individuals who were leaders of the people. Now, in our day and age, thanks be to God, the commission is given to all of us. All of us are to be baptized. All of us are to be disciples. All of us are to have this outward intentional kind of rhythm to our Christian life. And we don't do it on our own strength. We're not commissioned. I just got to work harder and I can make disciples of everybody. No, you can't. You do it because I am with you. The spirit of Jesus is with us. It's his mission. We participate in his mission. We are commissioned by him. 
And that is a remarkable promise that um, I just kind of want to end with that and hang on, on to that, that teaching in Matthew 28, 20. Um, I, have, I am with you always to the very end of the age. So disciples, we have this kind of intentional outward movement to our Christian life as we go with Christ, as we grow in our own obedience and our own discipleship, um, as we either or look back today and remember our own baptism or look forward to maybe taking that step of obedience and being baptized ourselves, and we are commissioned by God to go with, because he is going with us, to live this out in our places of influence, in our families, in our work, in our school, wherever we might be, commissioned with this outward, intentional movement to our Christian life. Now, we want to end kind of this time with an opportunity to respond to God in, in prayer. Um, we're going to take a few moments to maybe a couple minutes to have an intentional time of silent reflection, praying to God and thinking, okay, we've heard all these things talking about baptism. We've heard about the call for baptism for everybody. We've heard about how it's not intended to be an empty ritual, but a very practical reminder, a very important part of our life. We're called into a new life in Christ. We're called to discipleship and obedience. We're called to have an outward intentional rhythm to our Christian life. Sitting here today, what is God speaking to me? How can I take maybe a small step to respond? We want to give a minute or two just sitting here, you and God, thinking about how can I respond? How can I take another step in my discipleship journey today?